Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. Happy Freedom Friday. This is Carl and Crew. Glad to be uh, spending part of the morning with you as you are headed out this morning. We've got temperatures that feel considerably uh, warmer. Oh, yeah. It's nice out there. The fog is less less uh, prevalent. Also yeah, true. It, yeah, less. It's uh, it's out there, but much less than yesterday. Improved visibility. Hey, we've got mm-hmm. a really, really special morning for you. I'm excited about this one. Uh, Janet Parshall. If you listen in the afternoons at all, then you are probably very familiar with her voice. Uh, she hosts In the Market with Janet Parshall. She's a nationally syndicated talk show host. She's been doing this for a lot of years. Uh, you may have heard her voice, but there's likely... A, aspects of her story that maybe you are not familiar with, how she came to faith, a little bit about her family. We are going to spend a good chunk of today. Uh, she's going to be our Freedom Friday special guest. You're going to get to know her probably uh, better than you have, even if you've been <laughs> listening to In the Market for, for some time. So really excited to get some time to introduce you to Janet Parshall. Keep listening here on Moody Radio. Waking you up with adrenaline and Jesus. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Well, Boom Crew, we have a real treat for you this morning. You hear her voice afternoons here on Moody Radio. A very familiar, very recognizable voice. Janet Parshall joins us this morning here on Carl and Crew. Janet, this might be... A first for Carl and crew. I don't know that we've ever had the privilege of having you spend some morning time with us. Well, I hope this is the first of many invitations because I love you guys. I love what you do. And I consider it such an honor to be able to be with you this morning. So thank you for the invitation. I have never heard your testimony of how you came to faith. I I believe it was as a child. I've done a little bit of research, but I couldn't find the whole story. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Well, I'm one of those people who was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. But as Billy Sunday used to say, being raised in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. Right. But I can tell you that the atmospherics were there and they were very effective. So when I was in Sunday school at the age of six, I remember being there when the Sunday school teacher said, and and let me just pause and say how much I'm looking forward to remembering that person's name, shaking their hand and profoundly thanking them and hugging them around. Around the neck for really and truly being there to enter me into the Lamb's Book of Life. But it was a very direct approach. She said, boys and girls, how many of you don't want to go to hell? I shot my hand right up. I thought, yep, I'm there. Well, she did something beautiful. She opened up the Bible to John 3.16, a verse we all know and love. But she asked us to put our name in the verse. So I read out loud, for God so loved Janet that he gave his only begotten son, that if Janet would believe in him, Janet wouldn't perish, but Janet would have everlasting life. And that while I didn't understand deep, profound theology and eschatology and hermeneutics and all that other stuff, even at six, you recognize unconditional love when it's offered to you. So I right then and there asked the Lord to come into my heart. I was the last person out of Sunday school. My mama was pacing back and forth outside the Sunday school room. (laughs) And she said, where have you been? I said, mama, I just got saved. And she started to cry. And I thought, Uh uh-oh, did I do something wrong? Well, after having four babies, I know exactly why my mom was crying that day. But it didn't end there, being immersed. I mean, we had Moody Radio on all of the time. Founders Week was a highlight every year for us Mm -hmm. growing up. Even though we were in Wisconsin, we could still get that signal. And we were most grateful for it. But we were in church when the church was open. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday evening, midweek. And, you know, trust me, I wasn't the little girl with perfect pigtails in a gingham dress and said, oh, I can't wait to go to church like every kid. It was like, again, I got to go. 
you again, but yeah. praise God. My parents just said, you're going. It's not an option here. So when I was 14, we used to go to camp in northern Wisconsin, and that was absolutely the highlight of my life because there was always a visiting missionary. And so between all of the fabulous camp activities, we would hear stories of the mission field. And I'm telling you, Allie, my heart would race. I thought that's got to be the greatest adventure in the world to go to a foreign field and tell somebody about Jesus. So again, as the week would draw to a close, we had this marvelous service. I'll never forget it. And it was so impactful that I remember it as though it was last weekend. But if we wanted to move from asking the Lord to be not just our Savior, but to be Lord of all things, that we were his completely, not just receiving salvation, but in turn, we wanted to live a life in full dedicated service to him. We had the opportunity to pick up a stick and throw it on the burning bonfire. And that was symbolic of a life that would be consumed as a stick is consumed in a fire, consumed in service to Jesus Christ. Well, I I, I couldn't wait to pick up that stick. I thought, oh, here we go. It's going to be a foreign mission field. I can't wait to go. Threw my stick on the fire. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a medical missionary. I'm going to serve on a foreign field. <laughs> well, that's not well, what clearly happened. Clearly, <laughs> God redirected you somewhere along the way because that's definitely not what you ended up doing. How did he direct you into radio? Did you have an early interest in broadcasting? I know you you started doing a show when your kids were little noon time so that yep. you didn't miss yep. time away from home. Did you find that to be a passion and a calling right away? No. And and that's what's so funny because my passion was music. I got trained in music. I thought I was going to sing opera and then I would teach piano on the side. And I thought that's what I would be able to do all in coordination with my family. Well, what happened is the Lord used our love for our family and God just blessed us with these four little babies back to back. Sarah, Rebecca, Samuel, and uh, Joseph. We had four children under six, but God used that as the way of wooing me to listen to him deeply because we were passionate about caring for our children. And so one of my kids came home one day and said, Mama, we sat in a magic circle. Well, magic and Christianity don't work. So my antenna went right through the kitchen. And this I was said, Sarah, oh, right? This was this Sarah's was Sarah. experience. Exactly. And what we discovered is that our local public school had been chosen by the State Department of Education for an experimental program to try to identify at-risk kids. And it was cumbersome. It was ham-handed. And it absolutely was violative of parents' rights. But they asked the kids to answer three questions. Do you bite your nails? Do you wet your bed? And if there was a divorce, what parent would you like to live with? Well, divorce was never an option for Craig and me. From the get-go, we said we can get... In fact, Craig brilliantly said, here's a correct. You can run as far as you want to the edge of the corral, but nobody jumps the fence. And that, and, and I, I, I thought that was a perfect paradigm. So the D word was never in, in 52 and a half years of marriage. The D word has never been raised because we set the ground rules from day one. And there are times when we go to the opposite ends of our but corral, but nobody the jumps fence. the fence. That's exactly right. So that was, that was grotesque to me as a mom, because I thought, why would you even introduce that to my child's heart and mind when divorce? Divorce will never be an option. Why would you have them think about something that will never do anything but scare them? And so we decided we needed to do a little research. So this is when we found out that there were some issues. And Craig, being an attorney, thought, oh, this is replete with violations of the First Amendment, parental rights, all of the things that were 
there constitutionally and protective of our family. But I was concerned, and I was the president of the PTA. I didn't even know this had come in, but I had concerns. And so Craig and I started speaking out, articulating what our concerns were, because surely we thought in our naivete, if we were concerned as parents, a boatload of other parents had to be concerned. So we spoke everywhere from midweek Bible studies to Tupperware parties and the local Christian radio station, which was a 500 watt station, literally in a cornfield, asked me to come and if I would share my concerns. So I did. And when the program was over, the interview was over, the general manager came up to me and said, hey, how'd you like to do a daily radio talk show? And I'm telling you, Allie, up to that point, I, radio, I didn't know anything about it. All I knew is my kids <laughs> were being threatened and, you know, put a nickel in me and I'll tell you what my concerns are when it comes to my babies. And then this uh, the, uh, this offer came. And my first thought, pushing it through the grid again of my family, was babies are out the door at eight. They're back at three. If they offer me the show at noon, which is what they did, I could do this without disrupting the family. Well, I didn't realize that it wasn't a radio studio I stepped into. It was a classroom. And God was teaching me the art of listening. What people don't understand about radio is that while you and I are talking now, really effective radio is listening, listening to what our callers have to say, listening to what the guests have to say, and then just simply sort of guiding and negotiating the conversation or asking questions that can pull the best out of the guest to get to where we need to go to equip the saints who are listening to radio. That doesn't come naturally. That was the two-year tutorial I had on this program. And God was teaching me how to do radio. The Bible does say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the qualifier for radio for me is what you put in your heart comes out of your mouth. If you want to honor and glorify the Lord as a Christian communicator, get immersed in his word, know how to apply it to the world around you, and then somebody throws an on switch on, and then you're just simply sharing what the Lord has written on the tablets of your own heart. Well, one thing led to another. Uh, Because of our speaking out on this issue, I became friends with the local chapter of Concerned Women for America. I then was asked to serve at the state level. I then was asked by Dr. Beverly LaHaye to serve on the National Board of Concerned Women for America. And when you're given an offer to leave your town in Wisconsin to go to the nation's capital to become president of a women's organization, all the glitter is there. And I said to Craig, what do we do? And in his wisdom, and boy, he's so gifted as a man of God. And one of them is he just has this deep, deep wisdom, probably because he's deep, deep in the word. But he said, honey, when the Lord calls, he'll call both of us. Let's just wait and see what the Lord does. You can't make this stuff up. And it's so so purely a move of God, but it's so reflective of his sovereignty if we just wait on him in less than a week. Craig got a phone call from the Rutherford Institute, which was an organization that kind of preceded the American Center for Law and Justice, for whom he works now. And they asked him to come out and said, we need you to be the East Coast coordinator. Would you come out to Washington and serve us here? And Craig looked at me and he said, well, God doesn't have to shout. We got that one loud and clear. So we literally packed up, moved to Washington. But when I got to Concerned Women for America, one of my jobs was to serve as the co-host for Beverly's program. And so I did radio every single day while we were working on public policy. So again, God is teaching me how to do radio. And I was with Salem for close to 15 years. And then I joined Moody close to 15 years ago, starting with a Saturday afternoon program or Saturday morning program, which then the door was open for us to do the daily program in the market with Janet Parshall. Now, I have to tell you, I sit here and I tell that story and I've told it so many times, but every time I tell it, I have to stop, catch my breath and say, 
wow, God. I mean, I couldn't have seen that coming. All yeah. I've done since I was 14 at church camp is said, yes, Lord. And so it's door after door after door that is opened. And people talk about these great struggles they've had. And for me, it's I think he knows I'm in the bottom half of his graduating class. So I get the remedial classes on, do you get this, Janet? I'm being very clear for you. And so I simply say yes and walk where he takes me. And yeah. It has been amazing. So this mom at her kitchen table in Wisconsin comes to the nation's capital where the tutorials, trust me, continue. This is Athens. This is a new Babylon. This is the Areopagus in Acts 17. I thought I would serve as a medical missionary somewhere in Africa. They're still people with a God-shaped void in their heart, and only Jesus can fill that. So God has opened the door, Allie, for me to to talk to people about Jesus. I came in as a rookie, and I thought, okay, the idea here is to win, like it was a high school debate class. (laughs) And so God has taught me over and over and over again, like Oswald Chambers says, God hasn't called us to make converts of men's opinion. He's called us to make men converts of the cross. Mm. And so I realized, Janet, your job is not to wipe the floor with the opposition when you're in a debate forum. Your job is to be an ambassador for Christ to people who need him desperately. It is a mission field. It's just a different kind of a mission field. And all of that started. I look back and I say... I have no complaints, Lord. It has been the great adventure. It is so (laughs) awesome to follow Jesus. (laughs) Oh, Janet Parshall, our guest this morning, host of In the Market with Janet Parshall, which you hear weekdays four to six right here on Moody Radio. A great adventure, uh, but not without challenges. Coming up uh, Mm -hmm. more with our special guest, uh, Janet Parshall. I'm going to ask her, have you continued to walk with that sort of optimism and sense of adventure through the real trials and difficulties of life? That's coming up here on Carlin Crew Mornings. Your spiritual pit stop to keep you going in the race. We're Carlin Crew Mornings. We've got a special guest this morning, uh, Janet Parshall, host of In the Market with Janet Parshall. This great adventure that God has had you on. You've been broadcasting from the nation's capital for more than three decades, seen a lot, uh, hosted a lot of shows. Uh, but let's talk about how you've seen God's goodness and faithfulness uh, when the mic is off through the mm-hmm. difficult trials, moments of life, and you've seen your fair share of them, right? Mm-hmm. Boy. Isn't that the truth? You know, one of my books that I'm currently reading for the new year is C.S. Lewis's The Problem of Pain. And it's so important to remember that God is good and suffering is a part of his goodness. It's very difficult to grasp that somehow suffering and goodness can go together. Well, the the Cliff's Notes on that for us as believers is, if Christ hadn't suffered on the cross for us, we would not know the goodness of salvation. Now, it goes much deeper than that, but it's caused me to suddenly understand that suffering has a place in my life that comes to me from a God who loves me and wants me to be conformed and transformed to his image. So, boy, you know, I was praying about some of the things that have been happening in my life in anticipation of our conversation. And I think one of those trials is really learning total and complete trust in him. So my babies, God has used in such a profound way to really use as a tutorial in my life. So I will tell you the story of my son, Samuel. He was our third child, our firstborn son. And when he was in college, he wanted to go visit a friend. And so they decided that they would get together. And he went down to the friend's home in southern Virginia. 
Well, it happened to have been the weekend after the huge gathering of promise keepers here in the nation's capital. I was very humbled to be asked to do some live coverage. I was the only female who was invited to the event, and it was it was a five Kleenex day. In that mass of masculinity was my husband, my son Samuel, my son Joseph. So mm-hmm. we were on a high because it was a real move of God. One week later, Sam goes to visit this friend. In the middle of the night, and this reads like a movie script, except it's not, and the whole, in my memory bank, it moves in slow motion because every moment is still so indelibly impressed in my heart and in my mind. In the middle of the night, we get a knock on the door. I open the door, and there's a state trooper with his hat in his hand, his head lowered, his kind of ashen-colored, and he said, are you Mr. and Mrs. Partial? We said, yes. They said, do you have a son, Sam? We said, yes. And he stumbled, and I could tell he was in excruciating pain with the message he had to deliver, and he said, he's been shot in the head. We don't know if he's dead or alive. You need to get down to the hospital in the southern part of the state immediately. So we got in the car, and we drove mostly in silence because I know what Craig and I were doing is we were praying. We didn't know if we'd arrive at the hospital and have to identify the body of our son or whether or not he would be alive. So we get to the hospital, and the facts are that apparently this young man was given a gun by his dad for, quote, self-protection, but I don't think he was pretty mature on the handling of the gun, and it discharged into Sam's head at such a close range that it hit him behind the ear, and there were flash burns. They thought it was an execution-style shooting. And the 911 call has this young man saying, I've just killed my best friend. Hurry, hurry, hurry. So Sammy gets medevaced out of the house and to an upgraded trauma center. And they paddle him a couple of times on the helicopter. So the emergency room doc said, you can take your time. I'm sure I'm not going to have anyone to work on by the time he gets here. The emergency room doc had that was doing trauma in Detroit, so he was very astute with gunshot wounds. We were greeted at the door, and they said, um, it's uh, touch and go. We don't know what's going to happen. We can tell you that his ear has been blown off, so you're going to have to get some surgery for that, but we don't know if he's going to live. All Craig and I could do was pray. That was the beginning of us learning to let go, to understand that even our children don't belong to us, that he determines when we, each and every one of us, steps into this life and when we will step out. So learning to let go, I will, in full transparency, tell you, I was a very, very graspy mom. These were my babies. I I made all the other mama bears pale in comparison. These were my chicks, and I was going to protect them no matter what. And I started this excruciating lesson of learning to let go that as much as I love Sam, God loved him oh so much more. And so if he wanted to take him home, that was God's right to be able to do that, that I had to submit to him. And like Job, say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's hard to even imagine what that would feel like as a mom. There's so much more to this story. Might not be what you expect. More on Sam's story, Lessons Through the Pain, with our special guest, Janet Parshall, coming up. Helping you start your day with a boom. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Well, boom Crew, we're in the middle of an important conversation with a special guest, Janet Parshall, uh, just sharing about the time she dealt with tragedy with her son, Sam, who had been shot, was not expected to make it. Janet, every parent's worst nightmare. What did you do? 
So we prayed, and he came out of that situation with trauma wounds to the brain. There's not much you can do because the brain is still very much of a mystery. And they basically said that what happened, the bullet goes into the head and does, Allie, a U-turn. Now, bullets don't do U-turns. They go from one side of the skull, and they go out as the trajectory to the other side of the skull. He did a U-turn as if... And I'm just a good old Bible church kid, but I'm going to tell you what I saw, and I will declare the glory of the Lord. The bullet goes in and does this U-turn, and I keep thinking as if the hand of God went there and said no. Hmm. So it literally goes on one side of the head, outside of the other. The doctors were amazed. When they took the dressing off, I braced myself and thought, I love my baby. Even if he's got an ear that has to be repaired, he'll still be my baby, and he's still here. (laughs) The ear was perfect as the day he was born. I looked at the doctor and I thought, wait a minute, I thought you told me his ear was blown off. And literally, the doctor looked at me and he shrugged his shoulders and turned and walked away. (laughs) I think it was almost more than the doctor could handle because it was like, I saw that ear before. Now again, I'm not into hocus pocus, but I serve a great and mighty God. And if he wanted that ear restored, I, th- I, you know, I read his word. There's something about ears and the board, yes. you know, that ears go back on. <laughs> He's so done if it he wants before. to do that, that's exactly <laughs> right. So he can do it. Well, the long and short of it is it took 18 months. Sammy comes home. He couldn't see. His speech was slurred. He couldn't walk. He had to go to occupational therapy, physical therapy. They had to do psychological support because he got PTSD. Who wouldn't get that being shot at point blank range? We would literally set up little orange cones in the upstairs hallway and have to teach him to walk around the cones so he would get his mobility back. And all of this time, at any time, they tell you with a brain injury, you can plateau at any moment. So we didn't know how Sam would, what his future would look like. We didn't know if he'd be able to go back to college. And 18 months later, he goes back to college. He goes on to get his master's degree. He marries the loves of his life. He gets accepted at a grad school in California for filmmaking. He starts working in the creative industry out there. And all that time, my biggest lesson, Craig's biggest lesson was let go let go, let go. And God went right to that soft spot, which is, if you can surrender them to me, you can surrender to me for anything else. And so all the days, all the hours, the moments, the weeks, the months of prayer for Sammy was, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. You are a great God. You can heal him completely by taking him home. You can restore him now, this side of glory. We trust you completely. And it was a painful but profound lesson in learning to trust. I don't think we can grow up in him until we completely surrender him to him because we completely trust him. You know, that seems so basic. That seems so Sunday School 101. But it really is profound, I think, in maturing in him by letting go, which is the antithesis. We live in a culture that hangs on, that avoids pain at all cost, and that the self-engrandized of self is a value to be honored, not shunned. And so the walk with the Lord, our walk with the Lord is so countercultural in so many ways. So suffice it to say that Sammy went on and he lived 19 more years before the Lord took him home because he got cancer. And the cancer was the thing that took his life. And so I could grieve that my 36-year-old baby went home to be with the Lord. Or I could say, Father, you gave us 19 more years when an emergency room doc said, hey, take your time. I don't think he's going to be alive by the time you get here. The Lord gives, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Janet, you know, so much of your show is in your ministry is about equipping the saints and helping Christians think rightly about things we see in the news. But really at the heart of that is thinking rightly about God. Now, the fairy tale ending of that story is that Sammy's still here and that he's thriving. And that's the fairy tale ending that so often we want as Christians, uh, particularly when we go through something hard. It seems a good God couldn't possibly have you go through something else and it ends like that. At the heart of your ministry is helping us to to see God for who he is and sometimes the mystery of that and not kind of a God of our own making, right? A hundred percent. And, you know, it's I'm really impressed that the only time that Jesus talks about his own character, interestingly, is in the book of Matthew, where he says, I am humble and gentle. He's so much more than that. So why did God just choose those two words? So obviously, humility is hugely important to the Lord. Well, again, that's so antithetical to the world in which we live in. It's I'm an influencer. I mean, I I talked about this in the air the other day, and I got the giggles because I don't think you go to college and get a degree in being an influencer. (laughs) It's 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 almost a self-subscribed turn. Yes, because influence is something that you offer and that may or may not affect the behavior and the choices of the person to whom you're interacting. Your influence has had a forbearance on them. I don't think it's a self-subscribed term. So it's the antithesis of humility. But we live in a world where our value is predicated on the thumbs up, the likes, and whether or not we have so many people following us that now we bequeath ourselves the title of influencer. It's so counter to Jesus. So how do we have authentic humility in trying to replicate him? I'm going to tell you, for me, personally in God's classroom, that comes through suffering. That comes through the ability to say, wow, uh, he's in charge. I'm not. Lord, your your corrective discipline is helping to make out of me what you want of me so I can better serve you. It is so other-oriented, so Christ-oriented. And, you know, all of these things that we talk about, and and I realize that there's so many news stories that we cover, Allie, that it's easy to go, oh, that's a news program, or that's a show that talks about public policy. But it isn't. It's really about engaging for the cause of the cross. I go back to Francis Schaeffer. Dr. Francis Schaeffer was brilliant about talking about what he called pre-evangelism, which is starting in the outside of the culture and moving in so you can get to the center where he will find Jesus. So maybe it's because I've learned it here in this modern day Athens that everybody and their brother has an opinion about every story that shows up in the news at night. Well, I don't think Christians should be in absentia on those topics. I think we need to engage effectively by saying, I see where you're coming from, like Paul did, right? I see you're a very religious people. He picked up on where the people were at so he could take them where they needed to go. I'm now going to tell you about this unknown God. So it's it's simply, if I can put it this way, between us brothers and sisters, it's fishing bait. So everybody has an opinion about fill in the blank. So start there. First of all, does God have an opinion on this? What does his word say? Am I listening with the ears on my heart to what the person who holds the opposing view has to say? And how can I get this conversation to go to a deeper place, just like Paul did in Acts 17, where he picks up on the polytheism of the day? You know, there's a saying in Athens that there were more gods than men. And Bible historians tell us that he walked around Athens for a year and a half before he mounted up on that Areopagus. So he was in a, a astute cultural observer. When I grew up, my best buds in the world were missionaries. 
in the town that I lived in in Wisconsin, they had a mission school. Friday nights, I was sitting on the floor of the barracks in the mission school, listening to them tell stories about going into places like New Guinea and what it was like to meet unknown tribes and to share the gospel. But before they went, they had to prepare for what they called, and I credit my friends at New Tribes with this language, their transcultural missionary experience. Before I go out there in the marketplace of ideas, the modern day Athens, which could be, as my friend Chris Fabry says, over your back fence or in the streets of Washington, (laughs) D.C., how are we going to engage if we don't know where they're coming from? So Paul exemplifies that by walking up. You know, he didn't happenstance go up there. Oh, shock, look at all these gods up at the Areopagus. I bet he visited a thousand times before he finally got up there to give his address. But he was ready to meet them where they're at because he'd been paying attention to what they were saying. Now, Paul's paying attention to what they were saying doesn't mitigate his belief in the profundity of the gospel message and the personhood of Jesus Christ any more than our knowing what the culture says about fill in the blank on a thousand social issues out there dilutes my faith or God's position on those issues. If anything, it's an opportunity to connect and then go forward in that conversation. So it's really about evangelism. We are fishing for men. And these issues at their core are really and truly fishing bait that we're using as we talk to people. Because I got to tell you, I've seen so many people in Washington, the kinds of people you see on the Sunday morning talk shows or the cover of Time magazine. And these are people who still, as I said earlier, have a hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. So how do you meet somebody like that if you can't talk their talk, understand their customs, the food they eat, that transcultural missionary preparation? stuff. I didn't do it because I wanted to subscribe to their worldview. I did it because they loved them enough to introduce them to the unconditional lover of their soul. Yeah. Oh, Janet Parshall, our special guest this morning. I've got about 152 more questions that I'll have to save for the next time. We have you on Carlin Crew Mornings. This has been just so rich. I'm so grateful. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your faithfulness to the word and for your love for God's people. We appreciate you. Allie, thank you. And my love to you and all the Boom Crew. Thank you so much for what you do. In the Market with Janet Parshall, weekdays from 4 to 6 right here on Moody Radio. You can check out more in the Market with Janet Parshall.org, in the Market with Janet Parshall.org. New to the show? Stick around for a while. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. What's the hardest thing to let go of as a Christ follower? I think... When you think about at the point of salvation, the letting go, the surrender, and then there's sort of the ongoing, consistent letting go. Um, what about for you, Young Thunder? What do you What do you think is the hardest thing to let go of? Oh man, that's a good question. Well, for me, I mean, there were there were a lot of things, but for me, I think one of the hardest was the security of money. You know, okay. I, ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to get money, and. <laughs> And that just sounds funny. Yeah, no, and it's true. And and it didn't really change as I got older. I wanted to acquire money. I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, my problems would be solved if I was rich. I'd never have to worry about anything. I'd be good to go for the rest of my life. There's a reason that the Lord never wanted me to come into a lot of money. And I think it's because I probably wouldn't handle it all that well. Uh, But when I came to Christ, you know, he showed me, look, when you follow me, it's not always going to lead you down these 
financially victorious paths. Mm -hmm. However, I'm going to take care of every need and that needs to be okay with you. And he's made it okay with Mm -hmm. me, but it took a while. That's for sure. That's honest. Super die. What do you think? What's been the hardest thing to let go of either kind of past or ongoing? Um, and it's, it's ongoing. I have to admit, um, I jump to scenarios. I make up all, I worry. And I've got all these scenarios in my head. What if, what if, all these what ifs. Mm -hmm. And I can get lost to them. And it's like, I'm jumping off the cliff and nothing's even, even happened yet, but I'm already there. I'm already worrying. I'm already anxious. And to let go of that and just stop and really look back and go, God is blessed. Mm -hmm. God has provided. God has been there. God is there. And God, God's already in the future and to let that go. But yeah, my mind just races away. Yeah. No, I, I feel that with you, Super I actually was going to say something similar because for me, it's it's not the hardest thing to let go of in terms of I just love like yours was like the 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 desire for yeah, money. Yeah, the desire yeah. for something. Yeah. And this is like it's hard for me to let go of the worry and the fear, not because like I I love having that in my life. Oh, but no, it's been, no. like I would I I I want it out. I pray that it's that, <laughs> yeah. that the Lord takes it from me. But yeah, it's been hard for me to let go of fear and anxiety. Yeah. Sure. It, the those are kind of come back on me, and that yeah. like you said, those sort of. Worst case scenarios that can fill your mind. Yeah, like that panic and peace. They cannot coexist, you know? Yeah. So you've got to find joy. You've got to find that abiding. You love John, you know, 15, mm-hmm. five, that abiding in Christ. Yeah. And let him, it, it, he's already there. He's, <laughs> you know? Good feedback from you coming in on text message. This one uh, came in 4289. It's been hardest for me to let go of my need to be understood. Oh, I'm a people yeah. pleaser. I get anxious when I feel like I'm not being understood, especially when uh, by those closest to me. Yeah, that need to That's be understood. Sure. How about the need to be right or to oh, have the last one. word? Oh. That's me. Ooh. Absolutely. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Let's go to the phones. Matthew from Chicago. Uh, what's been or what continues to be the hardest thing to kind of let go of as a Christ follower? Matthew from Chicago, what do you say? Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I got you. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was, it was really just trusting, trusting that, Mm -hmm. you know, God would have my best interest at heart being, you know, being wounded at a young age physically. And then, you know, being, you know, hurt and betrayed by trusted adults in your life. It's like, well, if God's this authority figure, how do I know I can trust him? Yeah. Um, You know, so moving past and and like I just heard you talking about anxiety, Mm -hmm. you know, in Philippians four, verse six and seven, you know, God tells us, don't be anxious about anything. And there's many days in my heart, I'm like, Lord, I'm anxious about everything. Yeah. Like, this scripture was written for me because, oh my gosh, I've just, I've got to come to you constantly throughout the day, you know, and the challenge now is to stay surrendered in trust. And yes. that's, you know, that's hard. I think that's hard for humans because we get hurt so many times mm-hmm. by so many people. And it's like, how can I trust God? Yeah. You know, if this is what's around me. And then when you, you know, when you hang on to God and you surrender and then you start to see the miracles of God through other broken people. And that, that helps. Yeah. You know, you realize, Hey, God is in control. Okay. Let me surrender. Yes. It's going to be bumpy. Yes. It's going to be painful, but he's going to provide along the way. And I think that's, you know, that's still my challenge today as, as new challenges arise with kids or health or, you know, work, it's like, okay, let me not be anxious about anything. Yeah. I'm anxious about everything. You know, let me, 
right? Present a request to God with prayer and thanksgiving. Like, okay, I got a lot of requests today. So yeah, Matthew um, from Chicago, you you nailed it. That verse yeah. is one uh, that is near and dear to my heart as well. Out of Philippians uh, four, six, and seven, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Was just praying that one uh, very recently and saying, God, I'm bringing it to you in prayer. And uh, I, I, you promise the peace that surpasses all understanding. Like, God, I need that. But I want to leave you with a, a verse today, especially if you got to get going. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. That is our reality as Christ followers. We've been crucified with Christ. It goes on to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So do we strive in our own strength, trying to beat down that thing that keeps creeping up or that thing that feels so hard to let go of? Nope, it's not that flesh struggle. The life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Helping you take the next step in your walk with Jesus. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. You know, one thing you'll notice, particularly if you read through the Gospels, there are a couple of things that I'm struck by, so many things. But we know that God does not desire anyone to perish. We see that in 2 Peter. But it's interesting that sometimes when you're reading through the gospel, Jesus never begs anyone to follow him. No. He never kind of pleads with people like, please, 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 you really should follow me. You're right. In fact, it's it it almost seems sometimes like he... How do, how do I even say this? He's not trying to dissuade, but he's... He's, not trying to sugarcoat it either. Exactly. He lets you know how hard it is. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jonathan. That captures what I was trying to say. Because you think about sometimes in our desire to see people come to know Jesus, we can kind of plead with them. Please, please, please. Yeah. Come, just, just come to church. Yeah. Just, just, just come into the church. You don't even have to, you don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to, you, you, you can come and what, wear whatever you want. You ever had those kind of oh, conversations yeah, or heard those kind of, kind of conversations where it's almost this desperation? And it comes from our genuine desire to see people come to know the Lord. Yeah. But it's interesting how you never see, you see Jesus appeal to people in a very matter of fact sort of way, mm-hmm. but sort of pleading, begging, you don't see that. Luke 9 I want to talk a little bit about the cost of following Jesus. There are uh, some potential disciples that Jesus is interacting with, three different ones, and he has three kind of different conversations. They're quick, but I want you to listen to this passage. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I'll pause there. I'll follow you, Jesus. And he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's telling this person who's eager, enthusiastic, yeah, I'll follow you. Just so you know, those kind of comforts of home may not be there. Yeah. Right. That was the first conversation. He wants to give this enthusiastic. Yeah, I got, I'm with (laughs) you. 
Here's what you need to know first. Pick it up at verse 59. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You go, whoa. Important to know here, this was not somebody who was asking to go to a funeral. Let me just go and go to the funeral for my dad first, and then I'll follow you. What this person was asking, a couple different options, but the first is that he wanted to see his father, the rest of his father's life, maybe get some sort of inheritance. Like, yeah. let me let my dad live out the rest of his years first. And then I'll come. It also could be there was some sort of he wanted to have some long period of mourning, maybe for a dad who had already passed. But in both cases, this was going to be sort of an extended delay of let me first do this and then I'll follow you. And Jesus like, no, that's not that's not what this is. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Potential disciple number three. Now, this is verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Ooh, this one, that desire, let me first go and see my family. Jesus knew that that kind of let me go and see my family would likely diminish his commitment to the Lord that let me go home to, to the people that I love. Let me see them first. It was going to be a delay that would potentially derail his following Jesus. So he tells him, no, there's no, there's no looking back. And so I want to appeal to you. You may have had, you may be listening this morning and have any number of, but first sort of reasons why I'm not quite ready to follow Jesus. I will one day, but first, but first, first, let me, you know, I want to live out some of my fun years. You ever heard people say, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later yeah. on in life. Oh yeah, that was me. There you go. I'll follow God later, but right now I just want to do what I want to do. But first, uh, I, I do want to follow Jesus. I, I, I want to start going to church, but, but first I just, I need to get some things in my life together first. There are lots of different possible but first that you could be wrestling with this morning. And this passage is very clear that let me read this last verse because I think this kind of sums it up well. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is what the Moody Bible commentary, how it explains it. A disciple cannot be looking back to his or her old life, old friends, old habits, and be committed to Christ. The cost of following Jesus is a beautiful, it's a beautiful exchange. We exchange our sin for his forgiveness. We ex- exchange our uh, kind of turmoil for his peace. We ex- exchange our wretchedness for his righteousness, but it comes at a cost. And Jesus is very clear. And I think it's important that we are as well, yeah. that any idea, any sort of but first approach to faith is not faith. Faith is a surrender that says, I, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what God might call me to. I, I, I don't know any of that. But I say, take it all, whatever the cost, yeah. I'm with you. 
I was going to say the, mm-hmm. the cost is there. It is not like there isn't one. However, we can all as followers of Christ promise you that the cost is oh, worth it. So worth it. I don't remember the passage where the parable is, but Jesus uses a parable saying the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that yep. a man finds in the yeah. field that once he discovers it, he recovers it and gives all he has to purchase the field because mm-hmm. the treasure inside of it was worth it. Yeah, it's absolutely worth it. So I want I just want to appeal to you if you have a but first sort of approach to this, if you've been maybe listening and waiting, I would consider the cost. Yes, it's biblical. Count the cost. But but what are you giving up? What really are you giving up? The way of life that you're trying to be in control, but you know you're not. That clinging to some sense of self or reputation, but really, who are you impressing? You know, all of these things that seem so important in light of glory, in light of eternity. If life and death is in the balance, whether it's today or some other day, because it will be for every single one of us, what do you want to stake your claim on? What do you want to stand on? Is it your own merit, your own trying, your own doing the best you could? Or is it this offer, this free gift of salvation that says, leave it all behind in the sense of be willing to surrender any or all of it? That's the cost of following Jesus, but it's worth it. And so if today, if that's you, and maybe that's clicking for you for the very first time, have an honest conversation where you say to God, okay, you can have it all. I don't know what you'll call me to. I don't know what you'll ask of me, but I know that any cost of following you is is worth it because the reward is is so much greater. And there's joy even in the cost. So God, today I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin because I needed it. I believe that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe that you didn't stay dead, that you were raised to life on the third day. And your resurrection means I can have new life, eternal life with God. So if that's you today, have that honest conversation. It's the cry of the heart. It's not getting the words. There's no magic set of words that saves you. That's not how it works. But a heart that's fully surrendered and says, yep, I count it all. Anything I once counted gain, I count as loss. Find that. Will you find that scripture for me, Young Thunder? Yeah. I want to pray for you. Lord, for this person today, maybe it's just one who today is realizing that I've been counting the cost and saying, but first I need to do this, but first I need to do that. Today, I put aside all of the but first, and I say, today is the day of salvation for me. Today is the day that I leave it all behind, old thoughts, old patterns, old ways, old habits. And I say, today I become new in Christ. Lord, for this person, give them great joy in you today, God. I pray that by your spirit, anything that's unclear, you would make clear, that you'd lead them to a place where they can be encouraged and discipled and strengthened in you. Thank you, Lord, that that though there's a cost attached, Lord, the call is to die daily. But Lord, the gain is so much greater. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. That passage is Philippians 3, mm-hmm. 7 through 10. The, yeah. the first couple of verses have that main part there. But whatever I ha- gain I had, 
I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.